Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Last Sunday, we started uh, a new series, The Mission of the Gospel, and we looked at the first five verses, and we saw how Jesus began to call his disciples and began to make them into apostles, from disciples to apostles, those who were with him, they were sent out to make much of Jesus Christ and his mission. So by way of review, we saw how Jesus had been selecting 12 very normal, everyday, ordinary men for probably a few months now throughout the course of his ministry, short ministry, and he selected them so that they would be with him, so that they would learn from him so that they would hear him and see his ministry to the lost sheep. And before he sent them out to preach, they had to learn the heart of the one they were preaching about. Because, as we mentioned last time, discipleship exists not to make much of disciples, but to make much of Jesus, right? To make much of Jesus Christ. And we saw in verse 1, if you look with me, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus called the 12 and he gave them power. He equipped these men with supernatural power. They couldn't go on their own authority. They did not stand in their own ability or credentials. These men were messengers of the king and they went with all the authority of the king. These folks had to be empowered because they were simply ordinary And not just ordinary, but they came with all kinds of weaknesses and all kinds of limitations as we saw last last time, last Sunday. In this list here that's given to us in in verses 2 through 4, we see at least four fishermen. We see what we would nowadays probably call a terrorist, a zealot, and we also see a tax collector. I mean, not the kind of group that you would choose to be grouped together to go on a special mission with. But as we saw, our own calling, friends, our own calling here this morning is no different. Throughout the New Testament, it is emphasized that Jesus chooses the weak and meek so that his power would be demonstrated in weakness. The weaker the vessel, the greater the power that can be seen in and through that vessel. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He says that God put the treasure of the gospel, quote, in earthen vessels, in in jars of clay, so that the surpassing greatness of his power will be of God and not of ourselves. So Jesus chose to use these ordinary men for his divine mission. Now, as we continue this morning, Jesus begins actual instructions here in verse five. Well, and although these instructions are, are very detailed and they're very specific, the ultimate focus is on the person. Once again, it's all about Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 10, you can get lost in all of these details, but one thing we have to remember that Matthew chapter 10 is all about the person of Jesus Christ rather than the particulars of this mission. As we saw in the earlier verses, 
that discipleship existed to make much of Christ, we will see that mission exists for the same purpose, to present Jesus as the Savior and Lord. That is why I entitled this message, Mission Belongs to the Lord. So I want us to read, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 10, we'll read through verse 15 again to get the context, and then we will pick up in verse 5, and we will go through verse 15. So Matthew continues on in verse 10, chapter 1, and he says, And Jesus summoned his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits, and to cast them out, and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who, the one who betrayed him. These 12, Jesus sent out and instructed them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belt, or a bag for your journey, or even two coats or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his support." And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at that house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. Wow. So as we look at this passage here, as we begin to look at these instructions in the first set of verses here, I want us to see just the big picture, the big theme, and that is this, that the mission, the goal of mission is to present Jesus as Savior and Lord. We will see all kinds of particulars here, all kinds of details, what to take, what not to take, where to go, what not to go, what to expect. But in and all through it, the goal of missions is to present Jesus both as Savior and as Lord. And I want us to see three truths here about Jesus in his instruction to the 12. Three truths about Christ and then the implication of this truth. Number one is this, that Jesus, in verses five through eight, he is the commander of the mission. He is the commander of the mission. Then we will see that Jesus, he is the provider for the mission. And finally, we'll see that he is the Lord of the mission. And if Jesus is the commander, provider, and Lord, what is the implication of these things, of this truth? So I want us to see, first of all, Jesus is the commander Therefore, we go to the places he sends. Since Jesus is the commander, we go 
where he sends. He begins in verse five, instructing them, and he says, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any of the cities of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The first thing Jesus tells his disciples is where to go and where not to go. In fact, he emphasizes here in this verse, first where they shouldn't be going. Don't go there. Don't go there to places. From the initial observation, it it might seem a very strange thing for, for Jesus, right? The savior of the world, the Messiah, to say something like this. In essence, he is saying that my ministry of the gospel is not for everybody at this point. My ministry of the gospel is only for one select group of people. And that group is characterized as the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so we come to this passage and we ask, why is this so? Well, there are at least two reasons. One is theological reason, and the other one is probably practical reason why Jesus instructed his disciples that they only should go to one place and work with one group. But first, theological. Remember, Israel here, as a nation, they had a very special relationship with God. I mean, if you, if you take your Bibles and if you read two-thirds of the Bible here, you will finally and, and quickly find out that, listen, this is God's special people. Remember, right, that he established first in Genesis his covenant with Abraham. And he promised and he says, I will give you a son through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then he gives them the son and then the son starts bearing children and all these children, they move into Egypt and Jesus and God multiplies them in Egypt and he leads them out out of Egypt and he brings them to Sinai and through Moses, he gives them what? The law, his own law. Nobody else has the law of God. No one else has God speaking directly to a nation, but Israel does. Later on, he establishes another covenant with David. And to David, he promises to give him a son who will be king like David, except the difference between that son and David is that this one will reign forever and ever. He says, I will establish his throne forever and his, to his dominion, there will be no end. He will be on the throne forever. So all of a sudden, you, you figure out that this nation is different. This nation is special. They have God speaking to them, making all kinds of covenants with them, make, giving them all these promises. And now, after a very long time, at least 400 years of silence in between the Old and the New Testament, Matthew opens up, and go to Matthew chapter 1.1, He begins and he says, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, who? The Christ or the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, going back even further. Let me tell you, Matthew says something about this promise to Jesus and it is directly and it is foremost to you, Jews, to you, Israel. And then remember in Matthew 2, Magi come to Jerusalem and they're like, Where is the king? Wait, what king? Well, the king that was promised to David. Where is the king who had been born the king of the Jews? And remember later on in Matthew 3, John, the forerunner of this Messiah, comes out and he says, repent. In verse 2, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is coming. And then in 
Matthew 4, Jesus himself comes out and he repeats the same exact sermon. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Matthew writes chapters five through seven, the sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, here's how you can enter this kingdom. If you believe and if you trust in me, you will enter this kingdom that I come to bring. And now in Matthew 10, Jesus says, now go and tell Israel that their true shepherd is here. Their true shepherd is here. They must hear first. Don't go to anybody else. Don't go to Samaritans. Don't go. It literally says here, um, the text, do not go in the way that leads to all these other nations. Don't even step foot on those roads, but make sure you go in the way that lead to my people, the lost sheep of Israel. But there's also this practical reason. Jesus has only 12 ordinary men. Doesn't have a nation. Doesn't have angels proclaiming the gospel. There will be angels proclaiming the gospel later, but not now. And he sends these out, these 12 out in twos. That's why Matthew mentions in verses two through four, he says, and this guy, and this guy, this guy, and this guy pairs them together. So they probably went out in pairs. That's what Mark says. He sent them out in pairs. And so there's really, they can only do six houses at a time. There's this practical reason. They have a lot of ground to cover and they can only cover so much. So the specific mission was limited, friends, in its scope and temporary in its nature. And we have to remember this. There's a historical aspect here in Matthew 10. It's a special operation by a specific, by a select group of men. It's like the SEAL team, right? You get called to do specific missions, to rescue specific people. You're not assigned to go on these general missions. And so Jesus selects this specific group of people who will prove to be key throughout all the gospels and acts. And he sends them out and he says, you need to go to my people. Now, as we Gentiles here, I don't know how many Jews we have in our, in our congregation, but mostly Gentiles, right? We're, we're here, we're, we're sitting and listening. It's like, man, we got in. How do we get in? How, how are we worshiping the Lord? We got a chance to hear the gospel. Listen, it was always God's plan for the gospel to go through the nation to the other um, nations, through the nation of Israel to the other languages and tongues and peoples. That's what he says in Isaiah 49.6. He says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob? to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Israel, you were supposed to be God's chosen servant who would bring his law and his promises and his blessing to all the other nations. You completely failed. I will raise up my servant, my son, Jesus Christ, who comes in and he will be the one who not only brings salvation to you, he will be the one in whom all of our salvation will be secured in Christ Jesus. But Jesus proclaims the gospel first to the Jews and then sends 
his disciples out to reach the same group. He is the commander of the mission. Therefore, he sends his messengers where he desires them to go. And here's the focus, friends. It's not that Jesus is excluding the Samaritans and the Gentiles. As much as Jesus, who is the shepherd of the sheep, is caring for the flock of God. Here we see the character of Christ. Here we see the heart of Christ. In in verse 36 of of chapter 9, we find out Jesus is looking at the crowds and he's seeing that they are abused, that they are like with sheep without a shepherd, he says. That they are distressed and dispirited. And he says, I need to go get them. I have these sheep. I've been reaching out to them. Now you 12 go and reach the same group of people. And I think Jeremiah 50 verse 6 through 7 is probably in view here as he gives them these instructions in in verses 5 and 6. Jeremiah 50 says this, my people have become lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have made them turn aside on the mountains. They have gone along from mountain to hill and have forgotten their resting place. All who come upon them have devoured them and their adversaries have said, we are not guilty in as much as they have sinned against the Lord who is the habitation of righteousness. Even the Lord, the hope of their fathers. The prophets had this hope that because God's people were lost and it was obvious in the Old Testament, there will be a day when God himself will come to shepherd his people. And now Jesus comes, he proclaims this message and now he bids the 12 to go and to proclaim to them the arrival of their shepherd. God had a field already and he sends his messenger there first. The first order of business for Christ is not to get new sheep, but rather to find all the sheep that were missing from his nation. Go in and proclaim to them. So he says, go, go to them. Notice this emphasis. Do not go, do not enter, but rather go, verse six. Go, go. Don't expect the sheep to come to you, is what the emphasis is. They're lost. They're not coming. You got to go to them. Your mission is to go after them and bring Christ to them is what he's saying. Today for us, we we know that our mission is different. We know what he says, Jesus says in Matthew 28, right? He tells the 11, go and make disciples now, not just of this nation, but of all the nations. And in Acts 1.8, he reiterates his plan and he says, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. The scope of mission is different and so we're living under this general scope, this grand, great commission is what we call, go out to the nations and make disciples. And friends, this is how we ought to operate today. As the commander of the mission, Jesus sends us into the world starting here. And so we got to ask, where is Christ sending you? Where is Christ sending me? Well, he sent you where he planted you. He started out in Jerusalem or he started out in Judea there speaking to the Jews He planted us where he planted us in our own neighborhoods. Here, this church, we got this ability to to have this building. There's a reason why he wants us to witness. He wants us to go and call in the sheep because, 
Friends, the sheep are not going to come unless you bring the truth of the gospel to them. Go then. He had a plan for his disciples then, and he has a plan for his disciples today. But that's not all Jesus says. I want you to see that since Jesus is the commander of the mission, we are not only to go to places he sends, but also to preach the message he gives. Because Jesus is the commander of the mission, therefore, we need to preach the message he gives. We don't have our own message. Listen, going here, he says in verse seven, and as you go, preach. As you go, preach. As you start walking, start speaking, start saying. Going is not enough, you have to preach. Why why preach? What's the point of preaching? Well, church, whether we like it or not, God has chosen preaching as his divine method of calling the sheep back to himself. It is through the preaching, it is through the declaration, it is through the proclamation of the gospel that the sheep, the lost sheep, are called back into the pen. That's how God does it. Romans 10 verse 14, later on, Paul writes this and he says, how then will they call on him, Christ, in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? You know, Uh, Christians and churches as a whole, we can participate in all kinds of humanitarian effort and, and much of it is good. Bringing people material and medical help, especially into places that don't have direct access to these things is great. But beloved, none of these efforts are sufficient to bring the lost sheep home. None. The ordained method is to preach Christ. That's why Paul later on in Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith in whom? In Christ. Faith doesn't come, he says, from seeing. It doesn't come from touching. It doesn't come from eating good food. It doesn't come from putting on clothes, but it comes from hearing. And this is the reason they had to go and preach the message of Christ. As you go, verse 7, preach saying The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Obviously, this message is to the Jews first. They were the ones looking for the Messiah who would come and establish God's kingdom. We've already seen in Matthew 3, John did it. Matthew 4, Jesus did it. Now you go and say, king is here, friends. The king is here. What you have been anticipating for centuries is here. Repent of your sins and turn to Christ. Repent of your sins and turn to Christ. That's what the Sermon on the Mount was, wasn't it? The end of the sermon in chapter seven, he says, listen, you need to enter through the narrow gate. How do you enter the kingdom? Enter through the narrow gate. What is that narrow gate? That gate is Jesus Christ. And that gate leads to life. What life? Jesus comes in and says, I'm the truth, the way, and the life. Enter through the narrow gate. Not only that, you you need to build on the solid foundation. What is that foundation? What is that rock? That rock is Jesus Christ. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Now, historically, we need to remember that this message that they were preaching is not the full message of the gospel. In fact, you may be confused why I even refer to it as the message of the gospel because there's nothing here is mentioned about Christ's death. Nothing here is mentioned about Christ's resurrection, which are vital elements and central tenets of the gospel. Yet, 
the Jews here are commanded to look to this king, to look to Christ, because it is only through him, through faith in him, that they will be saved. Obviously, the disciples here are going around. Just in the next couple of chapters, Peter will look to Jesus Christ and he says, what are you talking about? You're going to go to Jerusalem and you're going to die? No way. And what did Jesus tell him? You don't understand. Get behind me, Satan. Don't thwart God's plan. My plan is to go and to die, to be rejected by these very people to whom we're preaching the gospel. So he knows his plan. The disciples are a bit ignorant. And as Jesus's ministry continues, they get more and more and more knowledge. And after the resurrection, then we read Luke 24, Jesus gets together with his disciples and he explains to them the entire plan, right? And he says, and, and, and Luke writes and he says, and then their eyes are opened and they begin to understand that this Messiah had to suffer, to die, resurrect, be with Christ. They understood the entire gospel. And that's, what, that's the gospel that they were preaching in Acts. And that's the gospel that we preach today. But nonetheless, this is the beginning of this truth. Friends, we have no other message. We can't come up with our own version. We preach what the commander says. What God had promised to do, he announced it in Jesus Christ. So we preach, and this is the great news. So preach. As you go, preach. Start talking. Start proclaiming. The emphasis is not, you know, as you go into the city, they will see that you guys are just a strange bunch. You guys are different. You don't carry a lot with you. And they will somehow deduce from that that Jesus is Lord. No, he says, you go and preach. Communicate verbally. But that's not all. In verse 8, he says this. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. As you go, preach. And I'm going to give you, right? He gave him the supernatural ability in verse 1 of chapter 10 to go and to perform the signs. And these are the very signs Jesus had been performing in Matthew 8 and 9. He had given them this authority in verse 1 of chapter 10 to testify to him. Listen, that's why I said everything about this mission, everything about this discourse is about Jesus Christ. Even the very acts, the signs, the miracles that they did, they were supposed to point to Christ. They were never meant to stand on their own. Like, look at Peter doing this great, amazing thing. Peter, good job. No, that is not what they were intended for. They were intended to draw their attention and say something miraculous, something extraordinary is happening. And then if you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament says that when you see these things happening, know that this is the messianic age. Messiah is right in your midst. When you see blind receiving their sight, and when you see deaf people begin to hear, when you see dead people raised to life and demons are being cast out of people, you know that Messiah is here. And so as apostles, they're going around from town to town, from house to house, and they're doing these things. The people there that are observing, they're like, wow, they don't come in their own power. Who sent you? And then they would tell them, you know what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This Jesus, he is the Messiah. Look to him, believe in him. 
The Bible is clear, friends, that these miracles, they were specifically assigned to the apostles. They belonged to Christ, and Christ directly, personally gave this power to perform these miracles to apostles only. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul writes, I have become foolish, you yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commanded by you, but in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. And then he says this, the sign of a true apostles were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. These things were given, this ability was given to apostles only so that they can confirm the message that they were preaching. They validated the message of Christ and his kingdom. What do we do today? There are no apostles today, like I mentioned last week. Today, we preach Christ by turning to the book, by turning to his word, by turning to the New Testament. And we stand upon the authority of his word. We say, thus says the Lord. Here's what the scripture says. We don't need to perform any supernatural acts. They never had God's written word. We do today. Therefore, we proclaim what is written here without needing the ability to perform some grand and amazing sign. Because friends, listen, signs, right? They're not going to do much apart from preaching the message. It has to be received by faith. Nobody ever got saved because they saw the sign. That's exactly what, what Jesus said in Luke, right? He says, even if Lazarus resurrects and goes to the brothers of the rich men and preaches the gospel to them, they will not believe. They have the prophets. They have the word of God. Have them believe that. Because guess what? Even if someone resurrects from the dead, they won't believe the sign. But they were here given so that they can confirm the messianic arrival, Jesus Christ. And then he adds this little nugget at the end of verse uh, 8. Look at this. Freely you received, freely give. I mean, this is amazing. I think what Jesus is saying here is this. You've seen me preach the kingdom message? and validated by healing and and raising and cleansing and casting out demons. I did it free of charge. I didn't do it. You've seen all the lepers line up. You've seen the door busting out out of Peter's home, how I did not charge a penny and I just healed one after another, freely giving. I called you to participate in this mission freely. I didn't ask you to pay a down payment. I didn't ask you to do anything. I just said, follow me. Free grace, friends. And he says, you've been freely called into the grace. You've been freely called into the body of Christ. You freely give. It's all about grace. I saved you freely. I preached the gospel to you without a charge. You go and you do the same. By grace, we read, you have been saved. Apart from works, so that no one will boast. And just like we were saved by grace, we ought to 
offer this grace freely. Freely you have received. Don't go into this ministry thinking that you're going to benefit off of the gospel. Don't ever benefit off the gospel. You offer it freely for the sake of Christ because he is worthy of our submission. So the first truth we see here is that Jesus is the commander of the mission. So we go where he sends and we preach what he tells us to preach. He has the message. We don't invent the message. We preach the truth of Jesus Christ. The second point I want us to see is the second truth is that Jesus is the provider for the mission. He is the provider for the mission. Verse nine, he says, do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts. This too looks really strange at first glance. I went on a short mission trip some years ago. And um, when we were getting ready, we were actually given a list by our leaders of what to pack into our suitcases in order to be prepared for this two or three week long trip. You want to be prepared for your mission? Here's what you pack. List of things what to take. And Jesus almost like reverses the strategy here and he gives them a list and he says, hey, here's what you don't take. And at the end of the day, when you look at this list, it basically means you're ready to go, bro. You, you don't have to take anything. You know me, you've spent a lot of time with me. You've spent months with me. You have the power that I've given you. You know the message. You heard me preach it over and over and over again. You don't need anything else. Go. Go. Don't take anything with you. It seems as though he wanted them to be sort of destitute and, and in need, but the reality is he was teaching the 12 to rely on his care. Friends, Jesus is the provider for the mission. Therefore, we rely on his care. Don't take anything don't take any gold, silver, or copper. So these precious metals here that he takes, they, they could be exchanged for food or other resources. They're basically your current day dollars that you would carry out in your purse. He says, don't take those and don't put them in your purse. Don't take it. In fact, don't even take a bag for your journey. One coat is enough, right? When he says, or sandals or staff, he probably means no extra sandals or staff. One coat, one pair of sandals, and one staff is enough. I love what uh, S. Lewis Johnson, in his uh, humorous ways, he says this. Now the little phrase, neither sandals, shows that not one of the apostles was a woman. Because no woman could ever take a journey without having more than one pair of shoes. The fact that they had only one pair of shoes meant that all women had declined to become apostles. <laughs> uh, side note. It's amazing, right? Don't take anything. You're going to be okay. Just trust me. Trust me. Again, we need to remember that this is a special mission with special messenger, but we do need to ask, what is the point that's being emphasized in these instructions? And the point is dependence on the provider who is God. Don't depend on your stuff that you have acquired and that you have accumulated. Depend on the Lord because it is he who gives you all things. In essence, Jesus says, I'll take care of you. I'll make sure that you don't go hungry or naked. You need to make sure that nothing distracts you 
on this mission of going door to door and preaching about me. I don't want you to worry about anything. I will take care of you. I'll have people who will take care of you. But I want you to be crystal clear and focused on your mission. Your mission is to preach me. Go and preach me. Proclaim the kingdom. And if you're going to proclaim the kingdom, you might as well let the king take care of you. If you're going to say to an unbeliever or someone else and say, you know what, this king who owns everything, a cattle on a thousand hills, right? We, we read in the Old Testament, he, he, he created everything. And then you're going to turn around and, and say, yeah, 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 but I need all this stuff, right? And for this particular ministry, Jesus says, don't worry about anything. Let the king take care of the, those in the kingdom. I'll take care of you. Rely on the Lord. And then he says the worker is worthy of his support. What he means by that is that there will be those who will see your need and they will provide for you. Your journey will be supplied for. Think about this, friends. What did it take for the disciples to leave all of these things and go into these towns? We don't know how long they went for, but they did. What did it take them? It took a lot of faith. A lot of faith. No doubt they were carrying this stuff and their bags and their money with them as they were going from place to place, traveling, following Jesus Christ, observing him, being with him. Otherwise, why would he even give them these instructions, right? He says, leave all of these things. I know you're comfortable with them. I know you may have enough saved up for the next couple of months, but don't worry about it. Leave these things here. It just seems radical, even to them. But the point is, you must rely on God. Travel light. Travel light. And also in verse 11, Jesus promises that not only will, will their you know, clothing and their food will be taken care of, he promises them hospitality. He says in verse 11, and whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at that house until you leave that city. If uh, you've been observant as we read this passage, both today and last time, you probably noticed this occurrence of the word worthy. He says, for the worker is worthy. And then in verse 11, he says, inquire, find out who's worthy in it. Verse 13, if the house is worthy, but if it is not worthy, 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 kind of almost stands out here from this text. What does it mean to be worthy? Well, Matthew uses this term nine times in the whole of his record, nine times, seven times. This word is found right here in chapter 10, seven times. He goes on in verse 37 he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy, same exact word, worthy of me. Well, two other times that are found outside of this passage, they're found in Matthew 22, verse 8, in the parable of the marriage feast, where those who were invited to the feast, it says, were not worthy. And referring again to the Jews, which is interesting. The other time is Matthew 3, 8 where John the Baptist comes out and he sees all of these people coming to them, to him to be baptized. And he cries out to them and he speaks and he says, no, 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 no. Don't be so quick of getting baptized. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So where's worthy? This word worthy here is in keeping with. Bear fruit that is worthy of repentance. Bear fruit that is worthy of repentance. 
So being worthy here doesn't mean that you deserve something, that you deserve salvation, that you merit it, that you somehow are qualified to receive it. No, it means that you are open to. It means that you are in keeping with the message of the king. You have been waiting for this king and his message for the arrival of the kingdom. And so when somebody knocks at your door and say, the king is here, you are worthy. You've been waiting. You accept the messenger in the name of the Messiah. So he says, when you enter the city, as you proclaim Jesus, look and search for the household that, lo- that is looking for the Messiah. Someone who's open to receiving the message. And when they are, you go in and you spend some time with them and you use their home as this base from which you continue to minister in the rest of the city. You go out for a day, preach Christ, come back to this house. They will take care of you. They will see that you don't have much clothes. They will see that you need food. They will provide for you. They will welcome you in. Use that house as a base. You know, someone said Jesus here is flexing his muscle as a holy God. For no man could ever guarantee such provisions. But Jesus can. And he does. Because anyone who is willing to go and serve him in this matter, he says, is worthy of support. If the father, as Jesus says in Matthew 6, promises to feed the birds and and clothe the field, then certainly those who leave everything to go and search for his lost sheep, Jesus says, are worthy of their support and they will be supported. Now, how does God provide for these gospel goers? He says, go preach the gospel. How does God provide for the gospel goers? God provides, friends, for the gospel goers by gospel givers. He has gospel givers. There will be homes that will open the door and will welcome you in and they will give you everything that you need to be sustained so that you can continue to preach the gospel of Christ. Certainly, church, we all must go. We must all engage in preaching, preaching Christ wherever he has us, wherever he planted us. But not everyone is called to do this full time, perhaps. Not everyone is called to go on a short or a long-term trip. And the beautiful thing here that Jesus enlists those who are worthy, who have received the message of the gospel to be heavenly involved in missions by giving and supporting those who go to. They are worthy of being supported. So we see how this message, it's, it's all about Jesus Christ. Going to the people he sends, preaching what Jesus commands, preach Christ, rely on him, But thirdly, I want you to see that Jesus is not only commander, he is not only the provider, but he is the Lord of the mission. He is the Lord of the mission. Therefore, he reserves the right to judgment. And this is where we come, verses 12 through 14. And as you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it's not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Listen, these 12, they were not sent to make disciples at this point. They will be later. We are sent to make disciples of Christ. They weren't. They were not sent to persuade or to argue with people. They were not even sent to judge and to warn people like Jonah. They were simply sent to proclaim the arrival of the kingdom and be welcomed by those who are open to Christ. But here's the issue. Because these 12 were vested with kingdom authority, they had to be obeyed. Friends, they had to be obeyed because of the one who sent them. They were traveling with messianic authority. 
They weren't preaching their own message. They were preaching the message of God. So in verses 12 and 13, we read that those who are worthy, right? They will receive this peace greeting. It refers to this shalom greeting. Whenever you came to your friends, you would greet them with shalom, referring to the peace and blessing that comes from God. So he says, those who greet you, you greet them and you stay there with them. But he says, if you find a particular household that is not receiving the message you're proclaiming, the message of Christ, take back your peace, which means leave the house. Leave the house. Get out of there. Don't stay. You've said what you're going to say, and they've rejected it. Don't force the issue. Again, I think going back to Matthew chapter 7, when he says, don't continue to throw pearls before the swine. Leave. Move on. Which... Think about this. No welcome means no disciples. No disciples means no Jesus. No Messiah. And no no Messiah means judgment. Judgment. It ultimately leads to judgment. Look at verse 14. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. This is a symbolic move. As you leave the house, as you leave the city, just shake off your, the dust off your feet. It's a symbolic move that indicates spiritual condition of that household or the city. It's a symbol of judgment. Uh, The Jews here, when they would go into the Gentile territory to do some kind of business, and as they would come back from the Gentile territory back into their own land, what they would do as soon as they step over into their land, they would basically shake off the dust so that it lands on their territory, right? Meaning, okay, I'm I'm done with them. They're despised of God. They don't deserve God's grace. They're animals, filthy animals. These are my people. These people receive grace. God loves us. Right? They would do. And, and Jesus here turns around and he says, you Jews, you Jews, go into Gentile homes, or go into Jewish homes, rather. Go into Jewish cities. And when they reject the message you're proclaiming, do this. Why? Because it will communicate to them something. Ah, it's not about your blood, right? It's not about belonging to someone physically. The ultimate issue, the deeper issue, is where does the true cleanliness lie, friends? What is the ultimate problem? The ultimate problem is in the heart and whether someone receives Jesus. That's the ultimate problem. That's the ultimate issue. This could be one house. It could be the entire city that rejects the preaching of Jesus Christ. And no doubt, even though we don't see it in Matthew chapter 10, it probably happened. He was rejected. They were rejected. We certainly see this rejection happening throughout all of the acts. We will see more of that next week as we study. And what is the result of such rejection? Verse 15 says, Truly I say to you, 
it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Does that sound shocking? It should be. If not, then probably we've forgotten about the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that God rained fire from heaven upon them for their gross immorality and sin. He couldn't even find 10 righteous folks in there to save the city. And yet God says that anyone who rejects the message of these 12 will suffer a judgment that is much greater. Listen, the residents of Sodom and Gomorrah will look upon those who rejected Christ and they they will feel sorry for them. That's amazing. They got fire from heaven. They got burned to the ground. And if you had to choose, you'd rather side with Sodom and Gomorrah than side with this generation and this household and this nation that saw Jesus bring the gospel to them and say, believe in me, trust me. And sends out his disciples and say, I I can't get them all, so why don't you go into these cities where these lost sheep are and go and tell them that I am here, that they need to trust me, that they need to repent of their sins and believe in me because, listen, there's no other way. And those who reject Christ will be more miserable in the day of judgment than Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know that It happened, right? Just a few short years from now, most of these people will be sitting there and crying out, crucify him, crucify him. We don't need him. And in God's plan, that is the predetermined course of action. Jesus had to be rejected by his own people so that salvation would come to the Gentiles. But Jesus will not only judge his people he will judge all the nations who reject him. Because later on, Matthew records for us in chapter 25, he says this, but when the son of man comes in his glory back and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to them, the same Lord that's going to come in and judge is the king whose kingdom is being proclaimed this very moment. Friends, missions is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about the Savior. It is all about the Lord. And these instructions are all about Christ. As we come to the end, I will miss a great opportunity if I don't offer those who might be sitting here this morning without hope and without Christ. Friends, maybe this morning the Lord is opening up your hearts to believe the message of Christ who came to seek and to save those who were lost. He did not come for himself. He came for us sinners. He came to pay for sin and to give life. And not just life, he came to give eternal life. And if today you believe in Christ and repent of your sins, 
The scripture is clear that you will have life, life everlasting, life full of joy and confidence in God. You will have peace with God. You will have the ultimate shalom. And in order to do that, you must open up and receive God's grace. You can't be worthy on your own. Right? You, you cannot be qualified on your own. All of us qualify for one thing, judgment. Judgment. And yet Jesus, in his love, he reaches down and he says, I can save you. Come to me, he later says in the next chapter, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And for the rest of us, friends, remember who Jesus is. He is the commander, so he tells us where to go and what to say. He's the provider, so he asks us, rely on me, trust me. I'll provide for you. And he is the Lord who ultimately judges. So we go, we go with confidence that Christ will continue to save, but with the reality that he will also judge. You know, Piper, John Piper, he's famous for saying this quote, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. You know, let us this morning worship the Lord, this week worship the Lord, because we know and we love Christ. And as we worship the Lord, let us remember that we still have this mandate to go because not everybody worships the Lord. And that's why as long as there are sinners and we are still here, there's a need for missions. So let us go. And let us proclaim the gospel of Christ so that more would come. And as we go, let's remember that the mission belongs to the Lord. Father, we thank you. Would you just equip us here with this word? Mold this church here so that we would go, so that we would preach, so that we would rely on you, so that we would present the gospel to those who are perishing and that we would go in faith knowing that this is your work and this is all about you. It's not about us. Help us not to think of our inadequacies, our weaknesses, our limitations, but help us to think about this glorious savior and extraordinary master that we have that equips us to go. We thank you for the spirit that is working in us. Bless us. As we look for these opportunities, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.